Welcome back to an episode of Notice That. Um, this episode will be a little bit uh, unconventional from what uh, is normally presented here, and it's because we are in a very um, uh, activated moment. Um, so much could be said. <laughs> um, but we wanted to get together uh, to record this episode to kind of just process together of what's going on um, for those, because this is gonna be recorded. Um, this We're recording this in early June of 2020 and uh, a very polarized uh, climate right now, politically, racially, um, socially, uh, pretty much in every way. And um, as humans uh, are, are very delicate creatures in a lot of ways, things like this can really um, get into our space and, and cause um, some reactions that may surprise you. Then um, this could be uh, anything from even if you're just gardening and noticing that you're pulling weeds so <laughs> violently uh, or uh, that you find yourself being compelled to, to reach out and to um, get involved in a, in a movement or, or something like that. So, uh, yeah, we kind of just wanted to get together and process mm -hmm. what's going on. We all kind of sit here today anxious and maybe a little activated of our own, knowing that this podcast will go out to many people and myself just wondering, like, how will it be received mm -hmm. and how will it affect everyone that hears it? And so as we come here just wanting to come from a place of um, sharing any of our own personal thoughts feelings experiences um, as people in process mm. of growing and learning and trying to figure all of this out too yeah. not coming from a place of knowledge or power or um, knowing anything more but just a place of vulnerability mm -hmm. yeah i think that you know, one of the things that we want to say at the beginning is that our goal with recording this is not to give a list of here's what you need to do yeah. in the midst of this situation in order to benefit or in order to um, help. It's really more about um, our observations about what we see in ourselves as we're processing this and in clients and how some of this shows up in, in therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know, one thing we want to be clear about is that we're not adding our voice to the conversation in place of other people that need, need to be promoted. Um, mm -hmm. and we're looking for ways to do that too, to promote the voices that need to be heard even more than ours. But we also want to share just the things that we've been feeling and thinking and processing because our hope is, is that it'll give you guys permission to be in your own process. Um, because part of being, um, a part of the movement that needs to happen and the change in our culture that needs to happen is being able to hang in there for the long haul. And that mm -hmm. means being able to process and feel what we're feeling and feel the fear, mm -hmm. feel the activation, but then choose to stay in it anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Jen, I don't know if you want to share that. Um, I can't remember if it was a quote or just something that you typed, but you were talking, um, uh, about our um, comfort as a privilege 
and what we um, kind of expect as white Americans. Um, yeah. You actually, it was from the podcast that you sent me, and I was trying to look up really quick what episode number. You might oh, know it by heart. Yeah, I do know it by heart. It's so funny. Yeah, it's um, a wonderful resource, uh, both for uh, clinicians and clients, but it's Therapist Uncensored. It's a podcast, and they have a website as well, and trainings, I believe. But um, this episode uh, is one of their earlier episodes. It's episode 20, and um, it is uh, an episode where the two kind of main hosts are sitting, uh, or virtually (laughs) sitting with... um, two clinicians in the Northeast that have been doing uh, racially focused process groups, um, promoting uh, bravery, mm-hmm. very simply. Um, so I encourage you to go listen to it. Uh, make sure you're in a ventral vagal place, a safe, connected place, because it is um, uh, quite activating. Um, it was cute. I mean, they recorded it. It's not new by any means. No, it's been out there. Four years. Yeah. So, no. but it's, it's still so to relevant. go back. Yeah, and listen to it and think, oh, this could have been recorded yesterday, and it would yeah. still fit. Yeah, I've listened to it so many times, and I still tear up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was something that was said on there that I I typed down and has just replayed in my mind all week, but. Um, Something along the lines of white identified people are accustomed to being comfortable, assume that it's our right to be comfortable. Um, And then further talking about we have to have those hard conversations and let our heart beat a little bit, take noble risks with good intentions, and that uh, really invite people into that place of being uncomfortable um, Mm. and being okay with staying there. And so that's something that I see this podcast being is all three of us feeling a lot of discomfort, but saying that's okay. Um, mm-hmm. It is okay for us to stay in that discomfort and maybe take a noble risk that with good intentions. So I yeah. hope as we continue to talk, you guys hear that and what we share that this might be a noble risk, but we have really good intentions behind it. And we just hope that we can reach or speak to what someone else might be thinking or feeling or wondering in this time as well. Yeah, and that we might feel connected with each other mm-hmm. in process. Um, that is one of my motivations for doing this podcast, this episode, um, is uh, we feel so isolated <laughs> in things like this um, and so vulnerable to that. Um, at least I know I do sometimes. And so uh, in this, I hope that it uh, helps you take courage in knowing that you're not alone and that we are all in process together. Mm-hmm. Um, as humble as that is, admitting to our interdependence, um, we like to believe we're individuals, but something like this comes along and it really shows us our need for other people, mm-hmm. um, which thankfully polyvagal theory makes sense of that for us. Yes. But, yeah. Yeah. It's very convenient that we've been talking about polyvagal theory for yeah. the last several weeks, Yes, because I feel like it's been incredibly helpful for me to understand yes actually as you say that i don't think those episodes will have been released so some of these words might actually be Be brand (laughs) you will be hearing yeah so we're we're going to talk about it yeah yeah Yeah. it's probably true and so i mean as we're because we are going to use some language um that references polyvagal theory uh so we'll try to explain that at least in brief but then you'll get some episodes that are a very deep dive. Yes. Not as deep as we would have liked, but Sad. a pretty deep, deep dive. And, we'll, and this is really language that we're going to continue to use because we're really integrating it into our practice and our model 
yeah. really at every level. So Normative be, lexicon. Yeah, just all it, it'll be an ongoing <laughs> yeah. part of our conversation. Yeah. So, so I want to go to that idea that you guys both shared about, about trying to kind of lean into and embrace our own discomfort about this. And I feel like that's a good place to begin sharing about our process is just our experience of the discomfort and Mm -hmm. the urges that we feel and how we respond to that. Because I'm sure everybody is going through a really similar process of feeling that anxiety, that discomfort, that urge to help and trying to make decisions about what to do with what they're feeling. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. One idea that we had was to kind of share each of our individual experiences Mm of uh, what recently has um transpired uh do you feel like that would be a good place to start yeah definitely yeah um does anyone feel compelled to start with theirs i'm happy to yeah okay um so last saturday here in springfield in our local community there was a peaceful protest that was organized and my sister and i made the decision to go and take my 15 year old daughter and um, it was a powerful, powerful experience. And so, you know, as we got there at the beginning of it, um, I would say it was, yeah, just a lot of people there with signs and chanting. And um, we ended up driving home and getting something and coming back. And by the time we got back, we saw like cops and flashing lights. And we were thinking, oh no, this has turned violent. And we started to get anxious and activated, maybe even fearful and wondering, like, should we be here? But then we noticed like the place were like blocking traffic to support mm-hmm. it, which was really cool to see happen. Um, and so, yeah, the police were involved at that time at that level in a very like positive way. And um, we decided to bring our other kids. So my sister has a son and I have two other three younger, but we left the little, little one at home um, just as a desire to let them experience it. And there was kind of this, like, um, I don't know, this feeling of, I want them to experience it. A part of me wants to, like, just let them not yeah. know that this Blissfully is Blissfully unaware. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Shield them. Mm-hmm. still, even to this day, I think, asking myself, was that the right choice? Was it the mm. right choice? Um, you know, like, constantly going back and forth in that. And I don't know if it was. I I'm curious, um, as you kind of give us an insight into that deliberation in you what what might be in the yes category it was a de- it was a good decision so having it, it brought us to a place of talking about yeah. history talking about the reality right now that we probably wouldn't have had that conversation mm-hmm. um, and it gave us like really direct way to approach it and discuss it and start to allow them to ask questions and be curious and explore some of their own thoughts and feelings and perceptions that maybe um, we didn't know they had formed. And so it just gave us a platform to talk and then for them to also see people. We talked a lot about um, this is how you can have like power with your voice because mm. we talk about oh, like wow. we don't use our hands and our feet and our like bodies to get our point across like we don't push people when we don't like what they're doing but we can use our voice and we can do these kinds of actions to mm. express something or to try to get something to change mm-hmm. um, and so that was kind of a neat because we talk about that at home like when my yeah. son wants the toy he can't just push a sister on the ground but um using his words to say things. And so we made that parallel frequently between 
that yeah. and talked about being able to like show love and show compassion for everybody involved. So when they would see something that seemed a little bit out of their comfort zone, talking about like perceiving that, like how to understand that and how to still like hold love for that person, yeah. regardless of who was there or what circumstance, um, even, you know, yeah, on all ends. So holding love for those who have, who have been um, victims to police brutality, but holding love for those who have made the choices or who have been the police who have been brutal. Mm-hmm. Um, and just like talking about holding that space of love for everybody and trying to see like there's something that leads to those types of actions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So... It was hard conversations. It was like such a tricky balance with little kids. That that combination of love and accountability. Yes. I mean, it's hard for adults. Oh my gosh. (laughs) Yes. For me. So many times. And like telling them that and then thinking in my own self, like, am I holding that same love? (laughs) (laughs) And how do I do that? Uh Um, Yeah. I was curious as you were talking what, what it was like to field their questions. Oh Mm yeah. It was hard. And that's why I think it just... Because they're the intensity of the protest, and the you know the longer it went on, the more the energy yeah. got mm-hmm. more and more intense. And so we made a choice to kind of um, leave a point that it just felt like this. We've gotten a message across, and this may not be the best for them mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. But still, there's an intensity. Like everyone's mm-hmm. shouting in unison. Oh, they re- they receive that as fear. You know, like right. they register. Right. Like this feels scary, and so their eyes were big, and they're looking around. They're checking their surroundings. They're looking like mom. They're checking in with you. Yes. So, you know, I'm holding okay? their yeah. hand and, and we're talking about and trying to have like a very light look on our face and still expressing the seriousness of it. Mm-hmm. But when we processed it, so when we got home, we're like, okay, just go play. Yeah. Go do whatever. Yeah, go get dirty. They're running around the yard. Yeah. Good, yeah. Go talk <laughs> to the chickens for a while. Right, yeah, exactly. <laughs> yes. Hug a tree. Do what yeah. they need to yeah. do. Yeah. yeah. Take a moment. They yeah. set up a tent in the backyard to camp that night. Yes, yeah. absolutely. So then at dinner, we kind of tried to reflect on it and have multiple times since then. But just to ask, like, what were you feeling there? And they're, they said, I felt... Uh, my daughter said, I felt scared and happy at the same time. Mm. And so we got to like explore like mm. the dichotomy of that, like fear mm. and feeling love mm-hmm. and feeling like some sense of the happiness. Of yeah. yeah. People coming together. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it was one to experience it myself and then to see it go through the eyes of my kids and even my 15 year old daughter. Mm. I mean, she was just. Oh, so lit up to be a part mm-hmm. of something so big. And it was neat to see her start like figuring that out on her own of like, what's my role in this? And like, yeah. Yeah. how do I make sense of it? And I hear my friends saying other things and just putting it all together. And mm-hmm. even her wanting to be like, oh, I just want to flip these people off. And I'm like, okay, well, <laughs> me not, too, babe. <laughs> we're not going to fight violence with violence. I just like, <laughs> I love that. But let's uh, talk about, like, yeah. So yeah, it was very educational. Right yeah. <laughs> That's, <laughs> funny. That's so funny. But it was an experience. And I I think, yeah, still in this time, just now, like, sharing with my family, who some of my family members or my husband's family, like, maybe have slightly different perspectives or viewpoints on it. And mm-hmm. so 
even just like then facing that with everybody and like explaining why we made that choice yeah. and why did we involve the kids. Yeah. I think uh, at this point um, that we're recording it, things haven't um, erupted in Springfield the way that they have right. in other in places. Other places. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, for me and Jen, we kind of talked, uh, or, or you, you mentioned your sort of aversion to really having a pulse on the news all the time mm-hmm, of, for sure. you know not checking updates and things like that because it's just um i'm not sure what words you would use but uh discouraging yes and, and oh, perfect bordering word. on depressing mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know yeah. um concerning yeah all, all of these kinds of words and i have uh, felt that way for a long time <laughs> um so it was very familiar to me as you started mm. talking but uh what that means for me is that i didn't really even know what happened with George Floyd. Like I'd heard the name, uh, just casually. Um, my mom had referenced to me in a phone call what had happened. And I was like, what are you talking about? And Mm -hmm. so she told me, Mm -hmm. um, what had happened, which is a very surreal experience to, Mm -hmm. you know, for your mother to tell you something like that. Um, and so I did some light reading. I did not, there's a lot of clickbait Mm -hmm. (laughs) online of, you know, all of these different groups really getting enraged and so I'm trying to be mindful of that and and also just trying to become aware of what happened and then uh that night I talked my roommate um is from Minnesota and uh St. Paul specifically and that is one of the first cities that uh Mm -hmm. erupted Mm -hmm. um and almost literally (laughs) with fire Mm -hmm. and burning the city down um and so it was very surreal for me to experience it almost uh, as a visitor, it felt like. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's just like, oh, what's, what's going on here? It wasn't, I wasn't immersed in it. Mm-hmm. And even now, I don't have to be. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that's a, a lot of what privilege is right. for me, is I can, I can stay entirely detached from this. Um, but knowing that it's very important that we embrace with endurance one another in this process um yeah and so i don't know for me this whole experience has been uh somewhat familiar i mean going to school uh for sociology for four years you know you're just flooded with this type of stuff Mm -hmm. um all the time from all over the world uh, and from all throughout history um, so talking about it in a cerebral way was very familiar to me, but also feeling that activation was very familiar um, because in a classroom of a fairly diverse classroom, in fact, um, you know, you put one of these topics on a, on the table and uh, people get really activated and mm-hmm. really emotional mm-hmm. really quick. You know, it's just like a, a very powerful trigger with a low threshold. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it doesn't take much. Um yeah, so um, it seems very familiar to me. Yeah. What was that like, you know, just kind of from the end of activation, hearing about the things happening in St. Paul and, mm-hmm. and everything in Minneapolis in terms of, yeah, just all of the destruction that's occurring there. What, what did you experience just emotionally processing that with your roommate? Yeah, so there's kind of a dual awareness for me because I have all of these really pretty shelves that my degree gave me mm-hmm. to process all of this stuff. And then I have the sort of um, subterranean emotional response to mm-hmm. it that until it becomes explicit and I can name it and organize it, I, I'm just reacting to things. 
And my roommate, um, like I said, from St. Paul, and, and he's getting text messages from his friends and having to text them, like, are you okay? Yeah. You know, and that's, yeah, what a powerful experience to mm-hmm. just have to, oh, I need to text this person to see if they're okay because the city they live in is burning to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he is here in Springfield, um, and nobody from his hometown is here, obviously, and even his parents, you know, have different opinions, kind of, as you mentioned, Jen, and so he just needed something to process. So I tried my best to save the uh, pretty shelving um, and just try to be a listening ear. Um, and as a therapist, you know, it, I also have pretty shelving for that too. Like I know how to manage my <laughs> mental noise and things like that. Um, and so I was just trying to be reflective and emotionally present with him and empathic. But then he did start to ask me about how I'm making sense of it, um, which to me is an invitation into the pretty shelving <laughs> from my undergraduate degree. So that was very much real as well of um, just thinking about the intricacies of the social movement cycle that this is now embodying and, and what phase it's in. And so I, th- I was thinking a lot about that and I've continued to think a lot of what I hope will happen mm-hmm. in that, um, that this doesn't just end in riotous uh, violence and, and pain and um, majority minority narrative war and that type of thing I don't it cannot in there uh, I really hope that it does it, it broach that political advocacy stage of social movements where they actually start to see some codification of their agenda mm-hmm. um, I think this war has been waged for a long time mm-hmm. and I, I really hope that it does form some lasting change I think so interesting to just look at it take 10 steps back and see like the hurt on all ends of the spectrum mm-hmm. like the hurt and the pain that is there for people and the fear mm-hmm. and the response from that fear um, my mother-in-law and family there live up around Minneapolis in that area and then cousin on the same side of the family lives out in California and is um, has a mixed race son and is mm-hmm. really big in uh, like protesting and being active in the community there and just seeing like some conversations between the two of them and some hurt back and forth mm. because they're both in pain and they're both in fear um, and experiencing and it comes from different places and they're experiencing it differently but just to see like that clash occur and then I think that's just like a little tiny example of like what our nation is experiencing of clash altogether um, resulting in a lot of conflict and so, yeah, it's interesting yeah. to look at it that way. And that kind of makes me want to continue, but I do want to hear, Melissa, for you, what, what was it mm-hmm. What was it like? Mm-hmm. I think there's probably, like, two main moments that I've been thinking a lot about. One was the day after um, George Floyd was killed, and, uh, you know, I had sessions with clients, and there was one conversation in particular that I've kind of been mentally revisiting because I feel like it was such a an honest expression from someone um, trying to figure out how to feel and what is uh, a reasonable self-expectation as far as engagement with all of this and she was you know moving back and forth between the I want to help and I want to do something but I don't know if I can handle Mm -hmm. staying present with this and 
Um, and I know this person's story, and I was thinking, I'm not sure if you could handle it either. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I too share that. Yeah, yeah like I completely relate yeah. to your concern yeah, here, yeah, but at yeah. the same time, there was this you know huge awareness on my part of like this this is our version of privilege that it is a choice. You can make a conscious choice yeah. to say, I can't handle yeah. this, and therefore Don't I'm not going to. No, yeah, and so in that moment, I found myself like wanting to convince her of mm. what I thought she should do. And in reflection, I think that is what I did. <laughs> I did not resist the temptation at all. Yeah. Uh, because my like my uh-huh. general reaction to this kind of stuff is I just get so pissed off. Like if I touch the anger, it just burns so hot that like I can't hide it. I yeah. just, you know, it consumes me really, really quickly. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, I, I can completely disconnect from it because I grew up having to. And, you know, I've shared on here before, like, I didn't have a normal upbringing. And we referenced that a little yeah, bit. Oh, well, you know, I, I grew up as a minority in the majority culture, except it was reversed. I grew up in Southeast Asia. And so, you know, being white was definitely the minority. But in all honesty, being white still carried tremendous privilege and protection. Um you know, I could get away with things that my friends absolutely could not. Mm-hmm. Like my my absolute hands down first personal experience of white privilege. And I'm about to out myself big time here, you guys. This is like <laughs> a, a personal shame story that I have never spoken out loud. And what a venue to do it in. Here we are. Good thing there's not a microphone. Yeah, no, good thing nobody else is going to hear this except the whole world. Um, we wish the whole world. I know. Went. Hi to our friends in Australia. That's Thank right. you for your support. We love how many downloads we get, right? Yeah, um, so I grew up in a multicultural school. and uh, But, you know, my classroom, this would have been the second grade. The classroom was probably about one-third white, one-third Asian, and then one-third various and sundry other ethnicities with a lot of European, etc. So we were a very mixed bag, and it was a lovely way to grow up. But mm-hmm. um, the majority of the teachers were white. I think the entire time that I was there, I maybe had one that was not. And there was a day that we were having a school or a classroom party, and it was like the end of a you know, semester thing where you get all your rewards for being good and all those lovely systems that we, you know, do to kids in classroom (laughs) settings. And I was, you know, a star pupil, of course. And uh, (laughs) got three. Yeah, the little three, three, Enneagram three that I am. um, I always did fine. But yeah, the point of the story is that we were playing heads up, seven up. And everybody in their desk had gumballs that we had received as rewards for being good or not being good etc and i stole several from because in heads up seven up you're like in other people's seats and everybody is looking and so here i am with my head down on the desk and i'm like looking at these going i I could could just have i could literally put it in my mouth right now and no one would ever know Except they did. <laughs> Once they got back to their desk. But who was it? And, re- and, and who was it? You know what happened? Here's 20 little kids. And one Chinese boy and one black girl were pulled up into the front oh. of the classroom. And I'm going to cry when I tell oh, this story. Gosh, I'm going to start crying okay? So here's little me watching this occur and knowing that I had done it. They got pulled up to the front of the classroom, and the teacher said, I know that one of you did it. 
And if you confess now, then we'll get to have the rest of our party. But if you don't, then the party's over. And kudos to them, they wouldn't confess to a thing that they didn't do. And not kudos to me, I stayed silent. And that is a particular heartbreak that I willingly carry as a remembering of what it means to be me and what it means to be not them. And so when I say I get mad, what I really mean is that the devastation that I feel at the way that I have been a part of that and been allowed to be a part of it is a kind of heartbreak that like I don't even have words for other than this blubbering that you're hearing. And I think that a lot of you guys can relate to that, just the immensity and the intensity of what this what is happening and has been happening for so long. And when all of that happened, I didn't have anybody to process that with because that would have required me to admit that I was the thief, (laughs) which at that point in my life I didn't know how to do. And so, you know, I carried that in silence for forever until this particular moment. Um, And I have tremendous shame about it, but more than that, I just have questions like how the heck was that the story for for that group of children Mm -hmm. it was just such a dramatic play presented to us and if that was one how many millions of little moments do we swim around in all day long when we're young without ever realizing the way that that's shaping us now every other kid in that room absorbed a message there That they have, they must be the guilty ones. Mm -hmm. And nobody, nobody looked my way. I was perfectly protected by two things hidden in plain sight. Yes, you know, I was a white girl and I was smart and successful, and that was all the protection I needed. That was it. Smart and successful because of what you were born into. That's right. Mm -hmm. And I had. And knowing those kids' stories, because I was in school with them forever, the amount of, um, yeah, not support that they had, and that that was, yeah, just the ripple effect Mm -hmm. of it and the constancy of it. In other words, I learned that day that some people would always win for no good reason, and other people would always lose for no good reason, Mm -hmm. and that that was what was going to happen. And it did not feel, at that point in my life, it did not feel like there was anything to be done about that. It just was a, oh, okay, that's how it is. And at the same time, like it's the exact same experience of, I grew up working in slums. Okay, so the amount of poverty that you see when you're eight, nine, ten years old, trying to digest all of that and understand it, the message that I got was, Melissa, this is just the way it is. Mm -hmm. One of the things that, my well-intentioned parents would say was in the bible it says the poor will always be with you like that's the message there they'll just always be with you and what you hear is and therefore i don't need to worry too much about it because they're just always going to be there right like this is just some people's lot in life and there's nothing that we can do about it and i think the rage that i feel that's exactly what i was just (laughs) thinking i was like yeah yeah it is the the rage of who decided that that was the story who cast this yeah like who's 
whose agenda have I been accidentally supporting since I was six, seven, eight years old? Like, what is the story that I have been swept up in and I would like to rescind my permission to be part of that? Mm-hmm. I'm dropping out of the cast. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Like, I will no longer be be that, whatever that is. But the amount of deconstruction and reconstruction that it takes us to do that yeah. and, and be successful at it. In a culture that reinstalls it always constantly constantly and i think that to me the the main piece that i am constantly trying to process is the privilege of safety and the privilege of opting out and combating that in every way that i know how which frankly requires that i willingly re-enter a space that i spent a lot of years trying to get away from Mm -hmm. which is a state of constant nervous system activation And so I want to say this, you know, for both therapists and clients alike, if you have been a survivor of trauma and have lived for any amount of years with PTSD, this is going to remind you of what those years felt like. Mm -hmm. And if you're still in it, it will be a compounding to what you're already experiencing. And my hope is that all of us say, at least this time it's worth it, Mm -hmm. right? At least this time it's our choice to say, yeah, I'm going to lose sleep. I'm going to stay stressed out and activated. I'm going to cry. I'm going to cry a lot. I'm going to be so pissed off with, you know, nowhere for my rage to go. And I'm also going to check myself and not take it out on the people that don't deserve it. And I'm going to feel victimized in a way. Yeah. Accused. That's right. And I'm going to hold all of that. And I'm going to ask my body to hold all of that Mm -hmm. because it matters that much. Yeah. And I like to me, that is the only thing that I know how to do. And I don't have any answers other than that. But I know that if I'm not willing to do that, then it doesn't matter what else I do. Yeah. With our um, the privilege that we have to even record this podcast willfully, mm-hmm. um, I recognize that uh, you know I don't know the, the pain and the struggle the way that others do. Mm-hmm. But I do my best, or I guess and I do my best, to, to listen. Um, and one of the reasons I shared that podcast with you guys uh, was to get to this this point of uh, brave spaces. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that could be a good way to kind of end. Mm-hmm. Um, is to, in, in this podcast, please go listen to it, seriously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but one of the speakers um, critiques a trend that was really big, especially when it was being recorded, uh, towards, you know, we need to create safe spaces. And this is a black man speaking, and he says, you know, that's, that's not possible. Mm-hmm. We can't offer that. Mm-hmm. We can't offer safe spaces. But one thing we can offer is brave spaces. Mm-hmm. And, now uh, yeah, I don't know. To me, that's, that's kind of where I just go back to at the end of each day mm-hmm. is, you know, we want to and we want to promise safety. Mm-hmm. We want to, t- and I, I know I feel it for my clients. Like I want to say, like you're safe. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing I want them to take away from their time with me, it's that they're safe, mm-hmm. and to internalize that and know it. But mm-hmm. they're not, right? <laughs> you know, and that's the crazy thing. Um, it's privileged to believe that you can promise something mm-hmm. like that, mm-hmm. and it's ignorant to believe yeah, that we can promise. Mm-hmm. Like yes. it will sound incredibly hollow and flippant and dismissive to anybody who doesn't get Mm -hmm. to live that experience every day yeah so what if we restored Mm -hmm. into bravery Mm -hmm. that 
danger is out there. Mm-hmm. Danger is in here. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. Mm-hmm. We're together. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, as you guys are in process with this yourself, I think that phrase of restoring is incredibly important because the amount of stories that we are being told yes exactly and asked to believe and buy into um it is overwhelming and i think being really really mindful of what stories we're listening to and what stories we're consuming regularly and like any good researcher, what I would ask is that you go to the source. Mm-hmm. Secondary sources are always subpar. So listening to the stories of the people that are there, that are experiencing it every day, to me, until we're willing and ready to do that regularly, we don't know what we're doing yet. Um, one of, so, yeah. uh, what I was reminded of when you were speaking is one of my mentors in college, um, when I was at university, uh, he was the chair of the department, but he said one of the best ways to look at social movements is to see who's the antagonist mm-hmm. and who's the protagonist. Mm-hmm. So as you're restoring and you're in that process, look at who is cast in those stories as the protagonist and the antagonist. Mm-hmm. Who is the villain? Who is the hero? Mm-hmm. That will tell you a lot. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, so I, I don't know, I just felt compelled to share mm-hmm. that. It's just a really helpful way to organize. Mm-hmm. Yeah, checking in with our stories and making sure that they're ones mm-hmm. that are actually fitting reality instead yeah. of being shaped to make us feel more comfortable. If you find a frequent protagonist and a frequent antagonist, that might be a very uh, powerful story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, I think if we can we keep talking about moving into that place of bravery and being okay with being in our discomfort. Well, I think you sharing that story is a beautiful like Mm -hmm. demonstration of that, like the discomfort to share that and the bravery to expose that and to say like, I will sit in my shame for a minute Mm -hmm. in front of all these people um, is exactly what we all need to be doing and being curious about everything outside of us but then everything within us like Mm -hmm. asking ourselves the question like why do I feel that where is that coming from where does that sense of like threat or fear or Mm -hmm. um, rage or anger what is it where's it coming from and then being curious about our history like I would imagine everyone listening has experienced some kind of story like Melissa's to some degree, mm-hmm. and we just didn't realize we were experiencing mm-hmm. it. It was the water that we swam in. Yes. Yeah. Oh, and wow. so to be curious of our own histories and our own experiences and when were those moments and what did, what did that look like? Mm-hmm. And were there points in time, like for me to ask myself, were there, when were moments I was prejudiced mm-hmm. and I didn't, I didn't identify it as that? Right. I hadn't labeled it as that. In fact, I would have said, absolutely, I'm not. Mm-hmm. But yet maybe I was still passively behaving in a certain way. Um, well, and I want to speak to that, Jen, because I think that one of the stories that we all need to shift is if we are white, we should never, ever say out loud, I am not racist. Please pick mm-hmm. different words. Or because, I don't have privilege. Yeah, or... because that cannot be true right it literally cannot be true because with the best heart and the best intention we have got to own the fact that we have been 
programmed and enculturated and told the same story since the day that we were born. And even if it didn't come directly from our parents, it came from everywhere else. Mm -hmm. And so for us to reject and pretend like we are somehow immune to that level of programming is absolute ignorance. And so if you if you feel yourself wanting to say, I'm not racist, please soften around that and ask mm-hmm. if instead you can say, I don't want to be racist. Yeah, exactly. Right. I want to be better than the story that I was raised in. And the first step to that is owning my reality. And I think there's a big piece of grace that you need to extend to yourself mm-hmm. in that moment because, I mean one thing we know about neurobiology is we're programmed to recognize right. difference. And and that's a really good point, Bridger. Like there there's no shame in owning that story. Yes. In the same way that we would tell our clients, there's no shame in being impacted exactly. by the trauma that you experienced as a exactly. child. Being enculturated in this way is a collective trauma and yes. we are seeing the results of that. And so saying, Yes, I was impacted is simply admitting that I'm a human with exactly. a real nervous mm-hmm. system. And you have to know your story before you can start to restore, right. right? Exactly. So I think that is a great uh, way to summarize this yeah. um, you're going to recognize difference it's what you do with the difference that matters mm-hmm. um, extend grace self-compassion and then from that compassion for others mm-hmm. uh, I, I just think that that's so intuitive to mm-hmm. the human process yeah I love it so curiosity grace non-judgment self-compassion and compassion, compassion for, for others, others. yeah, yeah. And soften yeah, around all process. of it. Yeah. Like whenever you feel yourself getting jangly on your insides, just jangly. get that's a good word. Get real. That's how we've all felt having this conversation. I'm I didn't sure. know. I felt that jangly way. on the inside. Like, oh, yeah, yes. and I'm sure that everybody <laughs> listening to this is feeling somewhat jangly on the insides, and that's okay. Um, you know, I I have a pretty intense yoga practice because that's how I stay sane. And one of the things that my teacher always says is just soften around that. And at first it used to really annoy me because I'm like, no, I will effort through this. Thank you very much. That's the problem. <laughs> because I'm a three and this is what threes do. We effort that's and we prove so it. Funny, so, <laughs> so if, if you have that tendency like I do, please invite yourself to soften around whatever you're feeling and approach it with a lot of curiosity and gentleness because when we're soft, that means we're malleable. Mm-hmm. And when we're hard, we either break or don't change. And so there's really one, one obvious choice to me. So those That's of amazing. you that are still listening at this point, <laughs> thank you for thank sticking you. with us. Thank oh you gosh. for sitting in our discomfort your own discomfort. And yeah, just, we're sort of flailing. Yes. <laughs> like, yeah. Being with us in these yeah. these moments of, of reflecting on this, we appreciate our audience so much. And I do, as much as a part of me is scared to say this, I do want to open it up and just ask you to write in, email us, um, comment, share your experiences and things that you've been curious about, maybe recognized mm-hmm. um, from any place of perspective any perspective of what's going on Uh, we'd love to hear from you guys so thank you again for being with us and we'll talk to you all again soon thanks guys bye-bye